Man, that's like another week. I'm gonna have to get a drink of water. Chris's voice is gonna be gone after the second service. Come on, you guys can grab a seat and just just welcome, welcome to Christ Church. I, I just love, I love, love our church and the people that God has brought together here. And uh, man, last weekend, um, this song, such a picture of what we celebrate, not just on Easter, amen? Not just on Easter. And if there's something that doesn't well up within you on Easter and then in subsequent weeks after that that just says, God, I want to live out of this resurrection life, then there is something, a, 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 a flawed in your perspective of the gospel. And uh, last weekend, the Good Friday services, the vigil, Easter celebration, you know what was a huge encouragement to me and to our staff was uh, the unbelievable a show of servant leadership of people using their gifts and talents to serve one another in those services. I mean, it was just so deeply encouraging. From, the, from our staff team that just worked tirelessly over the, that weekend, I mean, Chris was like curled up in fetal position on Easter afternoon. I mean, just so spent for the Lord and for our church and our worship team, our welcome team, our children's team, just amazing, amazing work. And uh, there were others, there were, there were behind the scenes things that are such a blessing that some people don't see the, 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 the people who cooked breakfast for the worship team Team who served tirelessly in six different gatherings. Uh, the recording of, on, on Good Friday was actually from a woman, Jenny, in our church. And uh, uh, the, the artwork of Jesus was painted by, uh, also by Anna in our church. And just so thankful for that. And the work of everyone coming together to serve is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And servant leaders leading people to an encounter with God, to call a people with a fresh faith to God or to deepen our faith. Can we just thank God for what he's doing? Amen. But, but, but one of the things that, that was reflected on this week as we processed through all that God did in, that, um, in the weekend services is to remember that, that true joy is not found in the many services. A true joy is when God works through those services, like the song we just sang, to literally change the trajectory of a human life as people walk more closely with Jesus. That's the end goal. That's the focus of everything we're going after. True fruit comes over time. Many seeds spread, and, and, and those moments in services can be catalytic when God's word is preached and, and people are worshiping. But God wants more than religious attendance on Easter. He wants to transform lives. Like, let's realize and recognize what we're coming before. And so this is the very reality that Jesus is, is, is teaching towards at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're back to that series, two more weeks, I promise. Two more weeks in Sermon on the Mount. A Bible's open to Matthew chapter seven. As you turn there, I wanna pray for us. God, um, we don't want just um, to, to run from a spiritual high to spiritual high. God, what we want is we want a substantive, um, steady work of your spirit on our lives, that our minds would be shaped by it, that our hearts would be changed, and that our lives would be lived as an overflow of the work that you've done at the center of the human soul. 
And so would you redeem and restore and align and, and get our minds and hearts on the true essential nature of the gospel when it is at work in a person's heart? Would you reveal that? God, I feel so weak in this message, but so convicted of its truth. Would you just work powerfully in and through my weakness in a way that honors and glorifies you and blesses your people through the work of your spirit so that we might continue to praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, there is something about the way that God has um, both directed my life and designed me that um, I am really bad at going through the motions. I, I, can, I can at times and in different seasons find myself lulled into going through the motions like anyone, but I find it incredibly difficult to fake things. I, I, and, and, and in light of that, when I, when I open God's word, I, I can't settle for my soul or for your soul for less than God's best. I, I cannot accept empty religiosity. I wouldn't continue to read and study my Bible if I didn't believe it was true. I, I wouldn't continue to pray fervently if I thought that God doesn't hear me. I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is the king reigning over the universe. I wouldn't follow Jesus if, if the relationship that I had with him was having no impact on my life. If Jesus is, is savior, Lord, and king, then what I want and what I believe he invites us to again and again is a growing, maturing relationship that should be closer and more intimate than any other human relationship. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus offers and what he wants. And he wants his people to have that with him. Not just me with God, but you with God. He invites you to that and he makes it clear. And this passage in the Sermon on the Mount makes it really clear. So let's read it together. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says at this very end He's sort of, in, in, in the way of understanding a, a sermon on the mount, he's starting to land the plane. And he's arriving at his closing thoughts, and here's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The big idea that I introduced a few weeks ago in this last section of Matthew 7, and the big idea for these final two messages is this. Every disciple must commit everything to follow Christ. Must commit everything to follow Christ. In the last message, we talked about the two ways in 13 and 14 of chapter 7, embrace the constraints of Christ's way. Then two trees after that, in 15 through 20, evaluate what you hear taught about God. And today, two claims. Two claims. One claim is an outward appearance of knowing Christ, but without any intimacy with him. The other claim is outward appearance flowing from a heart that is knowing Christ with increasing intimacy. And so two claims today 
And this point over all of them that Jesus wants to bring is to emphasize maturity in your intimacy with Christ. Because this thing of discipleship that Jesus calls us to in following him is, is, is not just obedience to what Christ says in his word. It, discipleship is drawing near to the person of Christ. It's, it's, it's knowing what he's done for you. It's then has a product of your faith as a reaction or reality in light of your faith is to be filled then with the Spirit of God, to then be in a posture of both learning from Him, listening to Him, and then living obediently out of an intimate relationship with God. And clearly, as you read this passage today, it's a critical message because our, our understanding of this, the eternity hangs in the balance. He's talking about the reality of who would enter the kingdom of heaven and, and some who will not because of some sort of outside that we're going to understand more as we go. Outward affirmation, but no real heart change towards God. And, and Jesus' words have weight here. Because he's more than an amazing teacher or an influential leader. He's God and he has ultimate authority over all things, including eternity. And so we have to listen carefully to this passage to hear two critical lessons that define what it means to follow Christ. So let's look at them together first. Following Christ is more, more than right outward appearance. I, I promise you this this message is incredibly confrontational, particularly in an area where um, there still remains in the very culture, when I mean our, the area, I mean West Michigan, still inherent in the culture is a, it, it's, it's lessening day by day, week by week, year by year, I promise you, but there is a sentiment of positivity towards the gospel and towards the church still in, in, in a lot of ways. And so what Jesus is doing is he's confronting that it has to be more than right outward appearance. And Christ is direct here. He gives three examples of insufficient discipleship. And so let me just clarify and make sure we understand this. Following Christ must be more than these three examples that he gives. So let's look at the first one. It must be more than a polite affirmation. It must be more than a polite affirmation. Now, saying Lord, Lord here, he's not correcting them for saying Lord, Lord. He's not even saying that that's an inappropriate title for who Jesus is. It is the right title when referring to God, but it's not sufficient in itself. See, a right profession without practice is not biblical faith. L referring to God as Lord could be a polite reference to an important person and, and would have been a, a, a polite reference to an important person at this time in this culture to which Jesus is speaking. Lord could be a respectful greeting to an influential teacher. Or, or it can be a reference to the God who reigns over the entirety of your life. 
Saying Lord, Lord, though, does not reveal what is happening right here. It could simply be an outward proclamation that has no inner reality. I, I, I'm regularly um, disappointed. My, my sort of like, uh, sort of tone of my spirit, it's sort of like a skeptic at heart, I've said this numerous times, is, is always disappointed with how quickly Christians want to affirm athletes, musicians, politicians as Christians. Man, we, are, we sometimes are so cheaply bought. Like, one reference to Jesus in their music, one favorable comment about the person of Christ, or agreement on one moral issue that lines up with the Bible, and too often Christians just like blindly and without discernment start to make them our heroes. Like, really? Is, is, is Christ so lacking in our lives that we need to add more heroes to validate our faith? Is, is, is what Christ accomplished in the death and the resurrection left us with so little hope that, that we have to find these heroes in our culture to sort of give us some sense that like, yeah, God's at work through that person's platform or influence and it's, it's got to be more than a polite affirmation. It's got to be more than a polite affirmation. It also must be more than right teaching. Do you see what Jesus says here? He says, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? They were speaking of the name of Jesus. Now he goes one step further, and I would just continue the challenge to you is to ask, do we affirm a person's relationship with God based only on right beliefs? Do we affirm a business as a Christian business because they have a verse hanging on their wall? Like, oh man, there's a verse on their wall. They must love Jesus. Not according to what Jesus says here. Or if they just promote the right biblical beliefs on their website, is that enough? Are we only looking for right teaching? Or are we looking for right teaching that's being lived out in a way that's transforming a person's life and the way that they think and the way that they operate? Is it, is it driving to the very heart of who they are? It must be more than right teaching. And now, when just when you think Jesus is done, he goes one step further. It must be more than fruitful ministry. Man, he is not messing around here. Jesus is, he's tearing down everything that you and I could use to try to prove our relationship with God. I mean, literally, he's talking about, this is good stuff, like casting out demons in your name, like exercising demons from people's lives, like that, that normally brings like people standing up and going into a song like we just sang, like... Lift me up out of the grave, and I, I used to be indwelled by this, this, this demonic power, and now I'm free in Christ, and doing many mighty works in the name of Jesus. All of these ways that, that you and I can minister to people, all of the influence that we can have in people's lives, it proves nothing about the truth of your relationship with Christ. 
Can God work through a person who does not have a relationship with him to fulfill his purpose? Yes, he can. And he's done it for decades and centuries. You cannot prove your discipleship through outward appearance. It must be more than a polite affirmation. It must be more than right teaching and fruitful ministry. Suzanne Dietrich wrote this. She said, verses 21 through 23 are a dreadful warning. The most orthodox avowals of faith have no value in the eyes of God if they are not translated into concrete obedience to his will. One may with his lips loudly profess his faith in God and even invoke Jesus as Lord, yet deny him by thoughts, words, and acts. None of those outward actions establishes your faith as authentic. You can be operationally, listen to this, these two words together, you can operationally, based on what Jesus says here, you can be a Christian atheist. Like, and if you want to identify the reality of what I think is fundamentally, literally eroding the church, is that Christian atheism has actually become endorsed. But not here not here. God, protect us. Because we can do all the Christian things, address God politely politely and respectfully, agree with Christian beliefs, and even point other people to Christ. Look at me. I'm clearly walking with Jesus. And Jesus is like, but you could do all those things and still have no faith in God. You cannot do enough to prove Your love for Jesus. And if you try to look the part outwardly without an inner transformed heart, that is an exhausting path. The critical question is this. Is your identity as a disciple rooted in what you do for God or what you say about God or is your identity rooted in what Christ has already done and continues to do on your behalf. Where this morning is it rooted? Pure identity. Note this. I'm trying to process through this carefully for you. You are not justified, made righteous by what you do. You are justified and have access to intimate relationship with God because of what Christ has done. But when you have a maturing, intimate relationship with God, when, then you are justified by God. Yes, you are called by God to follow. You are empowered by his spirit, and you respond by following his will and ways which leads to transformation. That's the gospel at work. The security of all of it is rooted in what Christ has done, But a natural outworking of that is that there is transformation in the way that I think and speak and live. Leon Morris sums it up so well. He says, Jesus is not saying that those saved will have earned their salvation, but that the reality of their faith will be made clear by their fruitful lives. Following Christ is more than right outward appearance. And that starting point opens the door for one of the most beautiful, awe-inspiring, 
joy-giving lessons that Jesus is pointing to very clearly in this passage. This second lesson, following Christ flows out of a maturing intimacy with God. Jesus is clear in this passage. He says that the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and you could see that and be like, wait, wait, you just told me that I don't get to heaven because of what I did, what I do. And, and now this passage is saying that, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But then, but then notice, notice what he points to that is the identifying factor of, of, of doing the will of the Father First and foremost in this passage, if you look in 23, he says, then will, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. And circle that word, I knew you. See, that's the ultimate, that's the starting point, that's the desire first and foremost of God in the gospel is he is a God that always is wanting to reveal himself. His first move before the foundation of the world was to know you and set his heart on you and let the redemptive plan play out so that you could know him. And then his first move towards you is to draw you near in relationship. See, what Christ is saying here depends on our understanding of the word know. Now let me break this down because this word is distinct because it's not referring to knowing someone mentally or emotionally. It, no, the word know is used here and in many other places. It's referring to knowing experientially. This is a knowledge of God that is it's, it's ongoing, it's active, it's a progressive experience leading to deeper understanding over time. Is that your testimony? of knowing God. When the word know is, is used in reference to marriage in the Bible, it refers to sexual intimacy. That's, that's what's oftentimes you see this as you read the Old Testament. Again and again, it's used in the context of sexual intimacy. And, and, and the problem is, is not only do we sometimes think about know as only this idea of knowing something in our minds, but not experientially, um, Sexual intimacy has been so destroyed in our world today that it's almost difficult to sift through the realities of what the world's done to it to identify God's heart in it. But the actual reality of sexual intimacy in the context of marriage is actually a revelation of God's love for the church. You see this directly in Ephesians 5. See, sexual intimacy has been messed up in our world because it's, it's become nothing more than a physical act for self-gratification. But God intended something so much greater for it than that. He intended sexual intimacy to be a reflection of a deep and growing knowledge of another person that's established over time, and the act of sex has a regular expression of intimacy within a committed covenant relationship where intimacy is being, is being cultivated all the time in areas way beyond just physical. Can you see how the world's marred it? So based on that understanding of no, 
in the context of a marriage covenant, intimacy with God in a covenant relationship is supposed to be similar. It's growing intimacy on a number of levels. So, so follow me here. Now, if we understand that, that perspective of no that Jesus is communicating here in this passage, look at this. So here's what we got to know. We got what does intimacy with God look like? Intimacy with God is marked by a deep and growing knowledge of the person of God leading then to acts of worship and responsiveness to God in all aspects of life regularly expressed in a covenant relationship over time. Read that again because I promise you this subject of intimacy with God too often has not been taught adequately in the context of the church, much to the dismay, I believe, of God and um, has caused a lot of joylessness in the people of God. Intimacy with God is marked by a deep and growing knowledge of the person of God. He's revealed himself leading to acts of worship and then responsiveness to God in all aspects of life. That's intimacy. It's a responsiveness to another in all aspects of life, regularly expressed in a covenant relationship over time. And when you see this, I could very quickly take this and teach an entire lesson on sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. Because it's supposed to reflect not what the world gives us, which is so cheap and less than God's heart, but the covenant relationship in marriage is supposed to reflect intimacy with God. The reason why sometimes people struggle so much with the subject of intimacy in marriage is because they don't know intimacy with God. And so there's a disconnect there. So how, how do we cultivate intimacy with God? I wanted to serve us here because I, I, I know that sometimes this has been so inadequately taught in the context of the church, and, but, but I'm so thankful that in the work of God and the Spirit both leading me to, 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 to teachers in the past and the influence of even the church I got saved at was, was so rich in cultivating intimacy with God. It might be a foreign concept to many of you. You're like, intimacy with God? Like, what does that mean? And so let me try to lead you well here. Five ongoing patterns to cultivate intimacy with God. Five ongoing patterns. I'm going to give you five words that should guide you and drive you towards a right understanding of intimacy with God. And trust me, you can take these things and you can use the same Husbands and wives in the room, you could take the same reality and you can just look and the nuances of it are a little bit different, but the same reality should be playing out in your marriage relationship. If you want to have one that honors God and brings the joy that God promises in covenant relationship, first time, time, intimacy is built over time. Invest time to spend with God. It takes time, especially with the amount of brokenness that you bring to the relationship, okay? Unlike marriage where it's like both people broken, in a covenant relationship with God, he's perfect, you're broken. Okay, you got to work through that. And that takes time, okay? It's a little intimidating at first. You're like, I'm really broken. And there's like this guilt and shame that we have to get past. And we get past that by understanding what Christ has done for us, where he welcomes us in and forgives us and 
has mercy and grace and, yes, right justice in regards to what we've done, but he loves us. Give God the priority with your time that he deserves if you call him Lord. Time. Second, knowledge. Knowledge, like, not, 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 a, not a book knowledge, but book knowledge is, <clears throat> is so cheap and easy. God wants more than that. He, he, he wants you to learn more and more about, about the history of the way that he's worked and his desires and his character. To, to long to know the heart of God. Knowing God through his word is critical because that's the primary authority that we have. And so you can start there to build your knowledge. But it comes over time as he's working things out in your life. It's both an observation of God's word and then a personal observation and knowledge of that. As he meets you in the places of your weakness and brokenness. Then from knowledge, awe. It's a response to God that raises his value. Out of knowledge, there becomes this growing respect for what you have learned about God that then results in a value proposition. And you start to express at the core of your soul like, I value God. What, what, he, what he says and what he thinks matters to me at every layer of my life. The Psalms can be incredibly critical here in your study of God's Word to stir up a sense of awe, and it's why we, why we want to lead our church in worship every weekend because that's the place where we enter into more deeply a sense of awe of God, and then that leads to this next one, affection. Affection. The foundation of our faith is not rooted in our emotion, but God values emotions because he gave them to us. And emotions, like so many other good things, can either be really good when they're going good, and when they're going bad, it can be not so good. But, but God wants us to see our emotions expressed and, and built through a, a growing knowledge and awe over time. That's what brings affection. As you draw near to God, you start to find that out of time and knowledge and awe, your emotions start to deepen in your affection for God. And they grow more consistent, don't they? And, and the, there's practices that God gives us, not to be things that we're like, check, 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 but he gives us these things to stir up our affection. I believe communion as a regular practice in the church is one of those. To stir up our affection for God. God, I'm coming again to recognize that you died for my sin. So that the, the reality of that affection is not just stirred up on Good Friday, but as a regular practice in the church. And when we gather as a church and worship together, part of what we want to accomplish is to stir up affections for God. When we gather together as God's people, we give testimony about how God's working. Doesn't that stir up this affection of like, man, God's awesome. Like to be able to announce Brett and Allie and Brett coming on our staff, that brings affection to me. Why? Because we've had time together. We have knowledge of one another. I've had an awe in the way that God's worked in their life. And affection has grown over time. It's the same thing in my, over a longer, more eternal covenant relationship, the same thing has played out with God. Then action is the last one. Responsiveness to God's will. 
it's, it's, a, it's a problem that has to be confronted if your responsiveness is high to everyone else, but your responsiveness to God is always lacking. If to rightly come to this place working through the previous four words, prioritizing God's will over your own will or the will of any other shows the authenticity of your intimacy with God. True intimacy with God leads to action. Following Christ flows out of a maturing intimacy with God. That's, see, when you understand this backdrop of a passage like this, you understand that when Jesus says what he says, what he said in, in Luke 6.46, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This isn't some heavy-handed, like, parental advice in a moment. Like, you call me dad, and I take care of all your meals and put a roof over your head. You don't even listen to what I do. It's not that. That's fallen human flesh speaking. This one's like, I love you. I've drawn you near. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? My heart is towards you. I'm telling you these things out of my affection for you. Not out of my desire to domineer or control your life. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and by this we know that we have come to know him, know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Because there's something cultivated in the relationship that leads to following Christ that's more than just some, some, I'm just trying to live like a Christian should live, but it's flowing out of an affectionate relationship with Jesus. By this we may know that we are in him. That's intimacy. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. True intimacy with God leads to action. God does not want right actions only. He hates superficiality. He hates religious activity. He wants your heart. And honestly, that is the most compelling nature of the gospel in comparison to all other attempts to define God in the world religions. If you're just beginning to walk with Jesus and you're still cultivating intimacy, perfect. I'm so glad you're here this morning to hear this message. Some of you are going to have to reverse decades of going through the motions, peeling back the ways that it's wrapped itself around your perspective and your heart. I would just encourage you to confess your religiosity to God. All of us might need a little spring cleaning in that. Ask him to transform your heart, to give you a longing for intimacy. Jesus doesn't just want you to do the right thing. He wants you to step into the right relationship with God, to cultivate intimacy, to know God, and this can be a revival to your approach to God, even in the disciplines. If you open God's word trying to cultivate intimacy with him, that's completely different than just trying to complete a Bible study plan. I promise you. 
If you approach repentance, not as, oh my goodness, I failed and I've got to get this right and get my life cleaned up, but you approach, you approach repentance going, God has something for me that I haven't chased after because I've been so consumed with my sin. God, help me to repent and walk after your heart, faithfulness in relationships, to understand that the way that I pursue faithfulness in my relationships is by first understanding that God is so faithful to me in his relationship with me. This establishment of true intimacy with God is the driving force behind the future vision of our church, as we talked about a few weeks ago. We talked about the vision frame and we talked about how we want to be down with a bunch of disconnected, random church activities where we're just busy with the church. Instead, what we want our people to hear again and again and again is that come to Jesus and lay your life down and pursue intimacy with Christ and get trained in the foundational gospel truths so that you, you could be transformed into the likeness of Christ and live for Christ to make him known and make him famous to everyone, everywhere, every day, as we've said in our church many times. We want to be busy with living the mission our vision frame says that our mission uh, in its simplest form is to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we talked about, as we reflected on that vision frame, we talked about the, um, the, the marks of a disciple. And in light of what I've just, we've seen in this passage, let's look again at this that we want to chase after. The marks of a disciple. Do they line up with this passage? Look at this. Draw near to Christ is the first one. Second, know the work of Christ. Three, become like Christ. And four, to live for Christ. That is the mark of a disciple, and making disciples is our mission. Following Christ flows out of a maturing intimacy with God. So on the authority of both what God has been leading our church to and on the authority of this passage that informs that, that supports that, and many other, we cannot be satisfied with a church full of people who say, Lord, Lord, in reference to Jesus. We cannot be satisfied with a church full of people who simply know right biblical truth. We can't be satisfied being a church that even sees miraculous works of God in ministry. We are going to be satisfied by a church full of people declaring Christ as Lord, knowing biblical truth, seeing miraculous works of God in ministry out of, overflowing from a maturing intimacy with God. Who wants to chase that? Who wants to chase that reality day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade, as long as the Lord will give us strength, even as we watch, that many will deconstruct this and go in a completely different direction and lose everything good about the gospel, everything supernatural about the reality of what Christ has revealed. As churches will depart from that in our own area, let us be a church humbly and lovingly but so seriously be a people that long to really know Christ and experience the power of his death and resurrection. Cultivate intimacy with God and never stop. Perseverance is the only option for the true disciple. 
time, knowledge, awe, affection, and action. I was nervous about this message coming off of Easter because I think when I read this, I always saw it as this sort of like really confrontational, condemning passage because of the way it had been preached to me. And as I studied it, as I unpacked it, I realized it was the perfect message. After a bunch of high energy, right, right, good celebration and reflection on Good Friday and Easter... But the joy of this passage is, and the invitation of the, of the God whom we worship, is that God wants more for you than to go from spiritual high to spiritual high. He, he wants more for, you, for your life than to run from fun ministry event to fun ministry event. He, he wants more from your life than just to go from teaching to teaching and just to acquire more knowledge. God wants to know you. You. Now, not the person to your left or the person to your right, not the person in front of you or the person behind you. He wants to know you. And that is the most beautiful, grace-saturated invitation to faith that the world has ever known through the gospel of the one who spoke it in this passage in Matthew 7. And because of that truth, Jesus spoke these words. Two claims. Emphasize maturity or intimacy with Christ. Following Christ is more than right outward appearance. Following Christ flows out of a maturing intimacy with God. Let's pray together. God, there has to be something that moves in our hearts in regards to this. I'm asking for you to do that through the work of your Spirit not through the energy of my own zeal and heart for this, not through the reality that Jesus spoke it, but I'm asking that through the work of your Spirit that you would bring this upon the hearts of people, that even if there's a cry and a desire for this, God, I believe you can meet someone right in the middle of that and minister to their heart and life and stir them up with great affection for you. God, do it. For some, God, bring them a fresh perspective of what intimacy with God is inviting them to. For others, maybe who for decades have have languished underneath this this teaching that I I just need to have the right belief and the right reference to God and I've I've done enough and, and, and their life isn't even being lived out of the fullness of the gospel. Would you bring it, God? I believe you could bring it in a moment. Would you do that? God, continue, even as we sing this song out, let it be the cry of our hearts. We want intimacy with you. We want to draw near and let all the goodness of what you want to come out of our lives flow out of that. Do it, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.